Thank you for tuning in to the sermon webcast of Living Savior. We are one church serving in two locations, Asheville and Hendersonville, North Carolina. For more information, go to lsavior.org. So newsflash, it's 2019, and I would dare say it's a great time in history to be alive, wouldn't you? Before you let your own pessimism get the better of you or that of anyone else, just really think about it for a second. I mean, do you really want to go back and live in a time when there was no indoor plumbing? There's no electricity, no cars. Anybody want to go to an outhouse in the middle of January? Show of hands. I, no, 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 absolutely not, you two in the back. No, absolutely not, absolutely not. I, I believe you. Um, <laughs> No, absolutely not. And this is bigger than just, you know, not living in a time with Airbnb and Alexa and, yes, even Netflix. This is much bigger than when having an app and that only means something you get at a restaurant before the main meal. This is so much bigger than all of those things. And even, like, living in a time where bell-bottoms, afros, and disco were the thing, it's so much bigger, bigger than all of those things. It's, it's recognizing that you and I have access to so much information, more information than any other generation before us. You can access more information in a day than your grandparents could in their entire lifetime when they were your age. Think about that for a second. You can see and access more than they could at that age. That's remarkable. All of this is just to say that you and I, looking at this year, I mean, unless you really want to go back to simpler times, unless you look back at a previous age in life and have a lot of nostalgia for it, Largely, I think it's safe to say that it's a great time in history to be alive. And, and a lot of history is on our side in that matter. I mean, even think of the advancements worldwide or even nationally. We have enjoyed more peace and prosperity than arguably almost any other country of any time. Go ahead and dispute that all you want. That's remarkable. Even technology. You can make a couple taps on your phone and you can not only order takeout, get your shopping list taken care of, You can change, shift around some of your investments or at the very least check on your bank statements. And you can even send pictures that are higher quality than anything they made several years ago to somebody on the other side of the globe in a matter of seconds. Think of the advancements, not just of our country and technology, the advancements of information, as I mentioned before, what is at our disposal, in our fingertips, even in our pockets, a phone, it fits in your pocket, is more powerful than the computers that put a man on the moon. That's remarkable. The advancements in, in, in medicine and in culture and in understanding and in education, etc., etc. Even, even I would dare say this. Even you personally probably were given a, sometime at least over the last few weeks to look back on 2018 and years previous. And I'm willing to bet that this is true for you. Namely, that you look back at a previous point in your life and you think, I wish I knew then what I know now. Yeah? Am I right? All of this proves what I'm simply proposing to you, that this is a really good time to be alive. And history's kind of on our side in this matter. Unless, of course, we kind of get carried away with what we know and think that it's all one could possibly know or the greatest things that could be known. See, there's always this danger whenever you look at from the very low level at your point in history and think that what you and I know now is really is really something, or maybe even, dare I say, most of everything. What you and I are going to do today, and I'm, I'm going to make a very humble request of you. What you and I are going to do today is we're going to 
look closely at this very familiar lesson, the gospel lesson appointed for Epiphany. And we're going to look at these men called Magi. We commonly refer to them as wise men. And they had worldly wisdom by the horns. And as we look at them in that point in time in history, and we look at our worldly wisdom in our point in time in history, I'm going to, I'm going to make this very humble request of you. That you and I would just pause and take just a step back for a second and would recognize that all that can be known or understood from our perspective in history is not all that can be known. And you and I would see that with all the worldly wisdom we have at our disposal, and we could even say history's on our side, when you look at all the advancements, we would still say, we would still be able to say this. There's always, always, always going to be a limit to worldly wisdom. And therefore, we would need God to give us something more. And in that way, you and I will see history has always been and will be on our side. Fair? Fair request? I invite you to go ahead and have that lesson open. Of all the things that we know about these magi or wise men in Matthew chapter 2, there's probably several, if not twice, as many things that we do not know. We do not know how many there were, when they came. We do not know what they knew. We don't really know who they were exactly, and we do not know really where they came from. There are a lot of ideas, and a lot of commentators will kind of suggest some things, and I'll give you my best take, which I think is a really good one, but there's nothing that we can say with 100% certainty from Scripture which says, here's the absolute 100% answer to all of those questions. I mean, how many were there? We can say that although people assume that there was three because there were three gifts, there's most likely a, a large caravan. We don't know when they came, but from the beginning of the lesson, we know that when they came, that it, it, it appeared, it was because of sometime after Jesus' birth, this star appeared and then they came. That, where, depending on where they came from, that could have taken several months to up to two years. It could have taken a long time. We do know there were several of them, probably a large caravan that could explain why all Jerusalem was disturbed along with King Herod. Here comes this massive caravan of really wealthy, powerful people from who knows where that would kind of disturb a, a big city. We don't necessarily know where they came from, although they bring these three gifts Gold was common. Frankincense and myrrh, however, that was largely found from and brought from Babylon and Persia, which also might help explain another question that we have about these guys. Two, in fact. Who were they? We don't know exactly who they were, although the Old Testament refers to these magi frequently and never in a positive light. They were astronomers and astrologers. They studied the star's movement and the star's meaning. And they were engaged in the dark arts. These were not people who went out and sought after the Lord's saving promises that he was making to and through his people Israel. They were never spoken of by God's prophets in, in a positive light. But maybe that helps us answer that final question, where did they come from? The whole incense, frankincense, and myrrh thing? Because when the Magi were referred to most popularly in the Old Testament, it referred to actually the most famous wise man that we know of. His name was Daniel. See, after Babylon came and captured and took over God's people Israel in that southern kingdom, it carried many of the best and brightest off into Babylon. Among them was Daniel. Daniel later became the chief advisor, the head of the Magi. And these Magi, you could think of them as like the think tank, the executive council who were advisors to the king. Think of them as like the president's cabinet. So they studied a whole lot of things like culture and politics and sociology and the economy and astronomy and astrology and also religion. So if Daniel is the chairman and if they're sharing religious ideas that they have gathered from around the globe, closest to them, 
what kind of religion do you think Daniel might share with them? Do you think he might share promises that God had been making to his people for hundreds of years? Maybe even a promise that you can find in Numbers 24, maybe? A promise that refers to the coming Messiah as the star of Jacob who would rise and rule his people. Does that explain maybe what they knew, what they were looking for, how they would even know that a star would symbolize the coming of the Messiah? Can we say that? Any of those things with 100% absolute certainty? No. Do I think that's a pretty reasonable and legit explanation? Sure, absolutely. And yet of all the things that they had, worldly wisdom by the horns, notice it was only able to get them so far. I mean, it's incredible already. They didn't have Siri to do a search. They didn't have Google Maps to help with navigation. And look at where they still got. I mean, these guys came from, let's say they came from Persia. How long would that take to come up from Mesopotamia and down through the Holy Land? And they end up in Jerusalem. That's pretty remarkable that they even know to get that far. They had the the wealth and the means to be able to do that. And, And of course, they would go to the capital city of this place where this Messiah was supposedly going to rise and rule. That's pretty remarkable in and of itself. And yet it got them to Jerusalem, but not to Jesus. It got them to that big city, but not quite to Bethlehem. What did it take to get them the rest of the way? It took this very unlikely promise that God had made 500 years earlier through the prophet Micah that the Savior was going to be born in Bethlehem. It took a 500-year-old prophecy. And that's not all. After hearing that the Savior would be born, the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, what else happened that was really out of their control and really beyond our comprehension? The star went ahead of them. And in a miraculous and mysterious way, it led them to the place where the child was. Does that make sense to you? Me neither. All of this is just to say that you can have all the worldly wisdom that there is. You can even have the means to fulfill all of your searches and your desires. Still, at the end of the day, it's only going to get you so far. One might say it might get you to Jerusalem, It's not going to get you to Bethlehem. And you and I see this in our life too, right? I mean, we believe things now that we know people didn't believe back then. In fact, switch that around even. People used to believe things that were pretty silly. You could probably think of a few of them. People used to believe the world was flat. People used to think that the world was the center of the universe. People used to think that if you're really, really sick, You need to let yourself bleed a little bit so you can bleed out some of your bad blood. I remember when I had a teacher that put this graph of the tongue up on the whiteboard and said, only these parts of your tongue can taste these types of things. I remember playing sports in college, and I went up, and I didn't land on my feet but on my head, and I had a coach who told me after I was telling him that I was seeing double if not triple, he said, just kind of shake your head a little bit until it comes into focus. And I know what you're thinking. Pastor landed on his head. That explains a whole host of other things. That's beside the point. True story, but that's beside the point. You know, we have things like necessary concussion protocol now. It's kind of a a huge industry in the NFL and other places. It's It's a necessity. We know that concussions exist and they affect people. No more comment necessary from you. Like it's a, it's a bit, we, we used to believe tons of things as people that we don't anymore. I mean, think about it. 
This tells us what we already know, that our worldly wisdom, and as great as it's ever going to be, is only as good as what it's going to be now because there's going to come a time when it's not that great. Do you really think that in a generation or two from now, they're going to look back and they're going to think, man, those people in 2019, whoa. I mean, if I am privileged to sit down and talk with my grandkids, do, do I really suppose that they are going to be so impressed with Grandpa Caleb? Like, oh yeah, Grandpa Caleb, you're, you were so awesome how you actually used your fingers to type out your sermons. You didn't just read your mind like we have now? Like you used your hand to drive your car? That's just dumb. Like who knows what they're going to be able to say? The one thing I know with certainty they're not going to say is, you guys were brilliant. Grandpa Caleb, we want it. You use a splitting mall to split wood for your wood stove? Like, why would you do that? And you know what I'm going to say? Before you get dinner, we're going to go split a three, three or four chords. That's what I'm going to say. But no, there's no way, shape, or form that we can expect in generations from now that they're going to look back on us and say, wow, that was as smart or as wise as it's ever going to be. And this is telling you nothing that you don't already know. You and I know that our understanding is entirely limited. It might get us to a certain degree. It might get us to Jerusalem, but it's not going to get us to Bethlehem. And maybe that identifies the real crux of the problem, doesn't it? You and I approach a lesson like this and we hear of something that sounds like Tinkerbell, a star guiding wise men to a place, and thus concludes another day in imaginary land, Pastor. Really, though? That little cynic that exists inside of me and the skeptic that also ex exists inside of you, just as it does me, likes to arise. And when it comes into contact with parts that are miraculous in God's word, we kind of like to subjugate it to our reason and our comprehension as if the God who really does exist needs to answer our criticisms, as if he's beneath us or something. And it doesn't just affect us when we read parts of God's word with our worldly wisdom, as limited as we said that it already is. It affects us in the way that we view all of life, doesn't it? The way that we approach not just how we understand and interpret God's word, but even approaching God's word to begin with. Think of what worldly wisdom tells us. That is a bad use of your time to be here today. And it's certainly not worth your time, since you, if you're here today, yes, you're here today, to even open up that book tomorrow. If you're in here right now, there's no need for studying further. Certainly, you have more important things to do in the in the realm of your work, which takes a lot of your wisdom and a lot of your unique skill set to achieve wealth, which is really what's going to take care of you. Recreation, mental health, physical health, all of these things that worldly wisdom will tell, these are the things that you need. This really doesn't make any sense, does it? Not just in how we interpret God's word, which surpasses understanding, in fact, collides with our understanding, but also in even approaching God's word to begin with. But Mani suggests to you one thing. The older and wiser you get, Wherever you are in that stage, some of us have a longer ways to go than others. Wherever you are in that process, because we are in that process, do you wish that you knew back then what you knew now? I'm not talking about 2018. I'm not just talking about technology or information. I'm talking about the greatest concerns that you have about your life, the guilt that wreaks havoc on your heart, the concerns that you have about death, and the very real certainty, I'm not even allowing it to be a question, that there is a God in heaven who has some kind of relationship with you and you're not necessarily sure what. At least, 
that skeptic inside of you is not sure what. You still wish you knew back then what you knew now? You think that's gonna be the case next year? You and I proceed in this life and we can even look at things like the resurrection. 10 years ago, people would look at Jesus rising from the dead and would say, there's the, the evidence for it, there's, there, there's hardly any. Like this is really not a real thing that you should really believe. You know what? The greatest historians in the world don't say that anymore because the evidence is overwhelming. They don't say that anymore. They'll say, we can't explain it, it's some phenomenon, but they won't say, historically, the way that we use history, it is commonly accepted in academia, we can't say, historically, that it is bunk. You know, they can't say that anymore. All of that illustrates one thing that you and I have to walk away with today. That of all the ways that God would seek to work through his word, it is not so that you and I would elevate our wisdom as though it is all that can be had, because that, along with all other worldly wisdom, is limited. The wiser we get does not make God less, it makes us less, and God's word all the greater. And maybe I can say this, that history's on our side in that regard, is it not? History's really on our side. Think of it this way. Who are these people that came from however far, from whatever clan or tribe or nation, to come and see the baby Jesus? They're the most unlikely people in the world. I don't think it's too far afoot to say, what would you think at all if all of a sudden some Buddhist monk came to you and asked you to learn more about Jesus? What do you think should be my reaction if all of a sudden a Muslim came to my office and said, I would like to know more about this prophet you claim to be the prophet, namely Jesus? We would say that's the most unlikely thing ever. Is it really that God would cause the workings of his word and his power and even mysterious miracles to bring wise men, the most unlikely people, to see their savior? And yet, has God not done the same thing for you? The God who knows the type of questions that you have and the yearnings of your heart. The God who knows the concerns that you have about you, yourself, your soul, and that of your family and your loved ones. The God who cares for you deeply and really does want a relationship with you, not of guilt, not of begrudging, but one that is loving and is eternal. Doesn't it make sense that God, even right here and now, has brought that to bear upon not just your mind and your ears and your eyes, but also your heart? I can stand here and you can sit here and we together today can say, history's on our side in this matter. Right? That God would work through history to share this message with you, that he loves you and he sent his son for you to answer your greatest questions and to be the solution to the greatest yearnings of your heart. The most unlikely people, the wise men, I'll tell you an unlikely person, you're looking at him. But God would do that for somebody like me? Trash sinner? Yes. Yes. He would do that for someone like you too. You can look back in your life and you can see it. History's literally on your side. You can look back at your life and you can see how the grace of God overcomes your guilt. You don't have to carry that around. The love of God answers your curiosity about eternity. The forgiveness and the resurrection of Christ gives you that peace and comfort greater than anything the world and its wisdom could offer you. And history's on your side. So my friends, as you and I walk today and interact with whomever we interact with in this life, this coming week and this year and the following year, if God allows this rock to keep spinning, might I suggest that you have this great benefit at your disposal. That God has blessed you with such worldly wisdom. More so than any other age. Till the next one. 
And that you and I, maybe we could prefer to live in a world where, like Malcolm Muggeridge would call it, it's, we don't fall prey to this chronological snobbery, where we think that just because something's old, therefore it's dumb. I would prefer to live among people, and certainly in a church where we do not operate that way, where just because something is old, therefore it's wrong. Instead, you and I can look back with history on our side, and we can see that, yeah, our worldly wisdom, limited as it is, is just that. It's a blessing from God, yes. But more than anything, history is on our side in this matter. That God in his love has seen fit to reach someone like you. To put stars in your life, to bring you to the manger, to bring you to the font where Christ clothed you, to bring you to his word, preached, read, heard, where he would comfort you and enfold you with his righteousness, to bring you to the supper where he gives you himself forgiveness that does not end. And then when you keep on coming back to those places, you recognize that in these ways, God continually brings you the greatest thing beyond what you could have ever asked for or imagined. He gives you his son. And even now, you and I can say, amen. History is on our side. God grant that to us all. Amen. Thank you for joining us for our sermon webcast. I'm Pastor Caleb Kerbis. To discuss today's sermon or to discover more about our ministry, visit our website at lsavior.org. Thank you again for joining us, and may God bless your day.